This podcast is only possible because of your support. Please consider donating, if you can, using the links in the description box. I'm Elia Huber for the Beirut Banyan. Translation is a tough job. If you are a creative person, you understand how tough it can be to express yourself while also having your message affect other people. Now imagine having to preserve someone else's thoughts and make them relatable in a whole new language. I'm bringing this up because it took me some time to translate El Namudaj Lubnani or the Lebanese model. I'm sure there are better terms for it, and I wish I were talking about some Lebanese heartthrob, but I'm alas addressing what has become the butt of the joke on social media networks. That term is laden with mixed emotions for me. I will try my best to translate those. Every time something good or bad happens, we are reminded of the delicate balance that we must preserve to maintain our national cohesion. It's like having an annoying younger sibling. If you want to go out for fun, you need to take them with you. If you're upset, they'll still be in your face. I'm sure it pays off at some point in loving families at least. I'm not so sure the version of the Lebanese family we grew up with is that loving. Let me explain why. Plenty of us are racists. Some cringe at the thought of marrying into other religions. Wasta is a survival tool when you have it and a shameful byproduct of the system's corruption when you don't. Newsflash, we are the system. When parliamentarians or ministers declare that they don't trust the judiciary to be impartial, knowing full well that they appointed them and don't propose to restructure how those appointments are made, we're stuck. It's a tough one when we realize you are the product of a system that doesn't trust its judiciary, but keeps sending your lawsuits against police brutality to it. One of your MPs can incite vigilantes to violence against their fellow citizens and complain about the system's injustice in the same breath. We are the aftermath of that. I know many of you would like to say that we're not all like that. Very true, we're not. But just like a tiny tube in an ice cream machine isn't a Mary Cream maker, yes, I love Mary Cream, a tiny tube in a meth lab shouldn't be arrested either. We are part of the system as long as we are under its rules. Many people left to get rid of its influence and many others stayed to change its rules. And in between those two, there's a whole international community that is trying to understand that Lebanese model. We can always say it's none of their business, but it gets really harder to stick to that point when we're asking them for money. On a smaller scale, many academics are interested in our model for different reasons. According to Dan Azzi, books will someday be written about a certain Ponzi scheme. According to others, we're just a traumatized bunch in a post-Civil War society who still don't know if they want early elections or not. In my own tiny world, I deal with interviews. I was asked the other day by a professor at my department about how I saw my role as a journalist on the ground with protesters. I happily conceded that by many measures, the protesters didn't need me to get their voices across. Sure, I might have a different platform and sometimes more eloquent words as descriptors, but that wasn't how I saw my role. 
I saw my usefulness as an interviewer, someone who can ask pertinent questions, which will hopefully coax a telling story out of my guests. Unlike popular Lebanese mythology on how we're born with talent, I was lucky enough to train with hardworking interviewers on that skill. Among them is a dear journalist whom I really admire, who taught many how to be good interviewers, especially facing evasive guests. We used to discuss what makes a great interview, and I got into the habit of sending her clips of noteworthy ones I'd find online to supplement her library. Similar to other teaching moments, we'd also carefully consider examples of where the interviewer would completely abdicate their role as a journalist and only serve as a backdrop to the guest's propaganda. We've seen many of those on Lebanese TV, and I agree with a lot of the criticism that is thrown their way. I also would like to remind myself and others that the person sitting on the other chair can be as vicious. I was sent a video from a dear listener of the podcast yesterday afternoon about one of our ministers being interviewed by a non-Lebanese journalist. If you happen to see this video, this is a textbook example of what is taught in journalism school. How to spot an antagonistic guest, someone who has a lot to hide. In such examples, the Lebanese model unfortunately shines. I rarely share Lebanese interviews with my colleagues, as most of them are in Arabic, but some good gems have emerged over the years, including that of many well-respected journalists. In this case, this interview was not of a minister boasting about our lack of budget, but giving lessons in evasiveness. Not only was he able to give non-answers for 12 minutes straight, but he defiantly stated that he welcomed criticism. Reminds me of angry uncles after political arguments at family functions who yell at you saying, I'm not angry, you're angry. Needless to say, some elements of the Lebanese model are used as an example of behavior to avoid, of textbook entitlement and opacity. We all have our problems with that model, but I feel we won't move past them until we fully acknowledge our complicity with what's wrong. We've all made bad decisions with regards to our country, and we surely have hated fellow citizens for theirs. How are you currently dealing with neighbors and family members who still accept themselves or their elected leaders from what Lebanon has devolved into? Let me know in my inbox. Let's keep talking. Elia Huber, signing off for the Beirut Banyan.